here today, and I believe planting seeds that will grow into trees, um, giant trees that produce fruit in our lives that will bring glory to you and help us love well for your glory and others' benefit and our great joy. So God, I pray that you would lead this next session and that you would speak through Randy and give us um, a, Lord, a hope and encouragement as your spirit moves in us to live for you and to love well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may use that microphone or do I need it or not need it. What do you think? No, I don't need it. Good enough. Okay. I want to I want to hit something that if I, I think if I don't finish it from the earlier session, I could leave you with the wrong impression. When I say I, this third type is deep commitment, it's I'm hanging on to you. I want you to make sure that, that I'm never mixing up two words, and I'm using them at a popular level, not a, not a technical one. So what would happen in my life with my wife if I became addicted to prescription drugs and I become this addict's lifestyle, so I am raiding my kids' medicine cabinets, I'm raiding our savings to try to buy stuff out of a trunk of a car, Clearly, my wife would try to hang on to me in my addiction at first. But can I tell you what the elders of our church would do? They would say to her, Julie, we want you to hang on to Randy, but we want you to hang on not the way he wants you to hang on, but to really love him, which means you're going to have to confront him. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about unworkable marriages. Now, he doesn't say go divorce. The elders would not say go divorce, Randy. They would say... In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, to the married I give this instruction, not I but the Lord, that a wife must not leave her husband, but if she does, let her remain separate and else reconciled. It's called time out. What, what, Paul? You said a wife should not leave her husband, but if she does, your parents never told you one time in your whole lifetime, do not get any cookies out of the cookie jar. But if you do, just get three. Paul just said the same thing. The elders would go to Julie and say, we want to fight for Randy. We want you fighting for Randy, but probably Randy's going to have to deal with a kind of love that you're going to have to make him face the consequence of his life. And so they would encourage Julie to separate from me because I'm stealing, I'm cheating, I'm lying, I'm tearing up the marriage. There are times that I clearly separate couples or encourage it. Not for revenge, not for divorce. Here's a really, really key, key thing. Families that know how to love each other, love each other, and love means doing the right thing because I love you enough to confront you. I love you enough to put my foot down. I love you enough not to be, pop- if you be popular with me. Families that don't know how to love, loyalty is the substitute. Some of you come from families that don't know how to love, You don't know how to have genuine disagreement and still hang on to each other and and be good. 
you don't know how to, to confront dad over this because he wouldn't handle it well. Loyalty is the substitute. So you, you have to be there on Christmas because mom just blows mom out of the water if you didn't show up on Christmas. Because the way mom knows she's loved is you can't come the day after Christmas. You can't come two days after Christmas. Even if you're married, you better come on Christmas because loyalty is how we do in this family. And if you're not loyal, you don't really love. You have families that, man, they fight among themselves, but if somebody speaks a, a word against them, the whole family turns on like a clan. It's where your mom and dad are divorced, and you really can't have a good relationship with both of them, both of them because their test of love is loyalty. Are you with me or against me? And if you're with him, you can't be with me. In a real family that loves each other, even at the divorce, your loving them doesn't keep you from loving me. Love and loyalty are how we as a culture tend to kind of operate a little bit. I'm never asking you to have a false loyalty to a mate because I want you to love them. And Julie would love me enough that tears would run down her cheeks, but Julie would separate from me while I'm this scoundrel and I'm knocking holes in the sheetrock and I'm, and I'm intimidating and, and I'm stealing and lying. Why? Because she's getting rid of me? No, no. She... You separate not for the purpose of divorce. You separate for the purpose of healthy reconciliation. So don't misinterpret this. Well, what if I carry this down to some of your dating relationships? Some of you need to get out of them. It's not healthy. It's not good. Don't you interpret this, hey, but I have an agape kind of love. No, an agape kind of love is the kind of love that I'm willing to do what's very unpopular with you because I care about you at a deep level. And, and, and so some of you needed to break up. I love you, I, 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 I'm committed to you, but the truth is you're not whole enough right now for us to have a real relationship. This is so broken, this is wrong, and I need to love you enough to call it time out. I'm not going to live a false loyalty. Does, does that make sense? That's a, that's a funny line in there, and you don't do this sloppily, you don't do it always on your own. You get godly people involved. But there are times, clearly, well, what if what if dad's been unfaithful with mom two or three times? Well, clearly, Matthew 19 and many other passages say, you don't have a marriage. So you need to live with reality, and a divorce is very appropriate because you're married, but your partner is not, and you need to live with reality. So there's times I, I recommend divorce. Most of the time, I recommend long-term separation because two to three years will clear things up, four years will clear things up. But 1 Corinthians 7 is where this comes from. That's a whole other discussion, but I want to make sure that I didn't send you out of here. Well, if you are in any kind of an abusive relationship, you know wholeness is not there, and you are not married. You are not married. Get out of it. It has to be wholeness. And if you are married and it's an abusive relationship, use 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, separate. That is not God's will. You take a pounding. That's not what real love is. That didn't even help them. That's incredibly unhelpful to them. And so for their sake, I'm going to be very unpopular with you by making this choice. No. That's pretty heavy stuff. Sorry about that. But. Uh, questions on that one? Let me just throw that one up. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. 
All right, let's go to the more bright and cheery. I believe there's a sequence, and I'm like Vanna White moving across, you know, at, you know uh, with the letters. I'm, let me start. I believe the starting place is your own wholeness. Your own wholeness has to do with emotional maturity, moral maturity. It has to do with responsibility. It has to do with contentment and peace and, and that. I think your own wholeness has to do with concepts. Do you understand how the world works? Do you understand Disney's not right? Do you understand, you know, they don't care how well, you know, they sang on stage with that, with all of the, the lights moving, that, that song is not how life really works. Do you understand, you know, that? Nobody's perfect on this. No, everybody's, but you, you've got to, when you read the book of Proverbs, you ought to be able to say the man or woman of wisdom is not me yet, but, I, but I'm on that road, and I, and I am making progress. And, and I know, I know the road I'm on. I think wholeness is coming. That, that's where you've got to be. When you get to that point, now, and I'm going to make a distinction. I'm going to play some words with you. Stay with me. I think it is time for you to have conversation and dates I'm going to make a, a major distinction between dates and dating. I know technically they're very close. They're in the dictionary. I'm making them a million miles apart. Conversations and dates is not the same thing as dating. Conversations. Here's what I know. Not a one of you are a great prophet. Not a one of you. Not a one of you are foretellers of the future. So I, I, I'm, I, I'll try not to do any audience. I mean, when I know people, I tend to walk out and do all kinds of crazy things, but I'll humiliate you guys because I don't know your stories. So we have this girl that's just so fun and likable, and he thinks she's, she seems to have really together. She's, she seems to have a godly wholeness. And, and he, he's going, I, I think I like her. I, I, in fact, I, I'm intrigued by her. I catch myself always wanting to hang out with her then go have conversations and dates. What's that mean? You call her up and say, let's go for a cup of coffee. You call her up and say, are you free this weekend? They're doing this deal. I'd love to have somebody go with me. Come with me. This in itself, you, nobody knows where it goes. Conversation and dates, this little stage in here, all it is is a time just of evaluation, and you're evaluating two primary concepts. How good of friends are we? How easy is it to talk? We all have many friends, but the truth is some friendships just click better than others. Is this a friendship that kind of clicks? Is this a good friendship? You're evaluating that. You're evaluating just having conversations. And she gets to tell you about this grudge that she has against her dad and how she's buried this thing. And, and you're going, whoa, I don't know that I'm hearing wholeness right here. In fact, if anything, uh, what I'm hearing is I think she may have some unfinished business in her life. Now, I'm not trying to make you judgmental and harsh, but I am telling you, you've got to be smart. And so you begin to do this. I'm going to make another strong statement. Small Bible colleges, which is what I'm in, Campus ministries. I've been in them forever. Every year I do two or three college campuses somewhere. Most every college campus gets 
campus ministry gets a little bit of an internal joke about we're kind of a bridal college. We're kind of a bridal group. They all have a little of that element within them. A little more so, a little bigger than your size. But that happens a lot. Truth is, truth is, you are not prophets. You need to be able to date. And a guy, if he would take this girl out on Tuesday and then he takes another girl out on Thursday, has done nothing wrong. And if that girl goes with one guy on Tuesday and goes to a movie and goes with a different guy on Thursday, she's not a trollop. Because all we're doing is cultivating friendships and nobody knows where it goes. You don't know. And what happens in groups like yours is as soon as somebody asks them out, you immediately begin to almost by group pressure putting them together going, ah, they're dating now. No, they're not. They're having conversations and coffee. They're going to movies and going to some events, but it is not dating. Until you know how the friendship develops, it's just blind running in the dark. Yes, we're dating. No, no. that's where your drama comes from. That's where your hurt comes from. Now, this dates and dating, there's no promises. There's autonomy. You each have autonomy. You don't lose autonomy, by the way, in until marriage, but, but this autonomy, and you need to be able to do that. This season is to get acquainted. In the season of your singleness, number one thing I want you to get to know is not a specific person of the opposite sex. I want you to learn what the opposite gender is like. I want you to run in groups. I want you spending time with you. You don't need to know what Janie is like. You need to know what girls are like. You don't need to know what Sam is like. You need to know what guys are like. Run in groups. You figure them out. You actually can't judge Janie without knowing Janie in the context of other girls. Other girls read Janie better than you do. As a guy, you're lousy at reading Janie. Other girls will read her better than you will. You want to do collective things. That's the bulk of this. Now, you'll do some stuff. Don't misunderstand me. My goodness. You, you, we both wanted to go to the same concert, and we went. I, I'm in favor of all those sort of things. The, the next stage, though, is honestly somebody I, I, I think I might want to date, but I don't know. We need to do conversations and coffees and, and dates. But they have no, we didn't, blood brothers, you know. Well, I guess blood sister, blood it's a bloody mess is what it is, uh, which is a, not a good word to use in England. But anyhow, um, yeah, no, no there's, no, there's no, there's no commitment on this. It is nothing more than evaluating what's the quality of our friendship. My wife and I had this season a long time. She came on campus. We had three or four, three classes together, which is kind of a little unusual. And we ended up sitting beside each other, and we were dear friends, and we had a lot of these conversations long before we started dating. That may be your case. But I still didn't know. First night, I called Julie up. She turned me down. 
I was the fifth guy to call her that night. Now, she will tell you that that wasn't her normal evening, okay? But she turned the first guy down because there wasn't wholeness in his life, and she knew it, and she didn't want to go with him. And she should have been more upfront. She told the truth, but she needed to tell more of the truth. He wanted to know if she wanted to go out that weekend. She'd been traveling and singing a lot. She said, no. She said, I really need to stay in this weekend. She said, I'm going to stay in. Well, the next four guys that called her, she had enough integrity to say, no, I'm staying in this weekend. And I was the fifth guy to call her that night. And she said, please call back for a different weekend, but I need to stay in. We, I called her back a few weeks later, and we went to our first, our first date. That date was so much fun. And it was a friendship that was already there. And we, we went and sat like you all do. You know, we didn't go to Taco Bell. We went to McDonald's parking lot. I, and, and we sat and we talked and we laughed. And, and I said, I like this. This, this. this is fun. Do you want to get together again? And she said, Yeah. And so about a week later, we, we went and we did a, a group activity, the, the two of us. And then we, that's what this season's for. No commitment, no rings, no promise rings, no nothing, nothing. This needs to be a very prayerful stage. You don't know what you don't know. I'd love to do an exegesis, and you actually can it sounds a little funny. It sounds like you're doing a comedy routine, but I'd like to do an exegesis with you of Genesis 24. Genesis 24 is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, and it's about finding a spouse for Isaac. But it's got content. It has to do with faith. Don't you dare. Don't you dare marry somebody who's not, doesn't have a heart of faith. It has to do with character. Don't you dare marry somebody without character. It has to do with praying and asking God to lead you, and it has to do with the presence of God. And, I mean, there's all kinds of things that go in that. It's kind, it's, while we can laugh at it and all kinds of things that are Genesis 24, this needs to be a prayerful season for you. Now, hear me. If you are naive and you take this season and you go on dates and conversations, you really do want to pay attention to what you see you think about this for a second. You let the ocean be having um, a bit of a, a rough day from storms. And a young man comes up with his kayak and an old man comes up with his kayak. Both of them see the storm raging on the ocean. Which one goes home and which one goes in the ocean? The old man turns around and goes home. Why? Because he's a coward. No. Now, he's got enough life experience to know he sees the red flags and he honors the red flags. The young man is too stupid, and I have been him. And he's going, I can manage that. No, no, no. You do not know what you do not know. So this season, honor your red flags. Some of you girls, you want to be liked so bad that you go by the red flags on a guy who wouldn't spend time with you. Don't go by the red flags. On a light note, how about a more fun note? Do this season, and even the next season, like you were fishing with your grandpa, not fishing with a five-year-old. When you fish with a five-year-old, anything they catch is worth keeping. 
Can I keep it? Can I keep it? We're going to keep it. This is a keeper. No, no, a five-year-old wants to keep everything. Your grandpa? Your grandpa, when he fishes, he throws almost everything back because he knows that's not a keeper. Don't date like a five-year-old. Can I keep him? Can I keep him? Can I? No, 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 no. There's a season. Does that make sense? Once you've done that for a little while, and I don't know what that is. It varies so stinking much. Julie and I knew. We knew very soon. But we'd been friends from August to February when our first date was. We knew very quickly. We want to move from dates and conversations and coffees to dating. How I knew is that she twisted my arm and had me up. No, I'm, I'm joking. Um, yeah, she was kissing me on the side of the cheek. It was, it was awful. Actually, actually, that's a good point. I'm coming back here. I'm here. Don't go through this season that you do not kiss them on, kiss them on the lips. Do not leave this season that you do not fully and completely kiss them on the lips. Write that down. Somebody turn to Proverbs 24. Verse 26, I think. Proverbs 24, 26, I think. Somebody read it to me, and it may be a weird passage, and I got the wrong one. I got it. Read an it. honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Okay, you got a different version. You got a friendly version is what you got. <laughs> what version is that? New Living Translation, yeah. They went ahead and helped you with that one. Do you know what it, it says in actual translation? That an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. I want you to kiss them on the lips with truth. Truth. Don't play the stupid, dishonest cards. Many a girl has said, that was awkward. He told me he'd get back a hold of me, and he's now ghosting me. He doesn't, nothing. It's like he dropped off the face of the earth. I really enjoyed that. I'll get back a hold of you. And gone. You dumb bunny, you, the guy. Your job at the end of that date is to go, Stephanie, I enjoyed tonight, and Stephanie, I like, I don't know, I don't know that I would automatically see this going somewhere, and this has nothing but a just kind of a knee-jerk reaction, but I enjoyed tonight. Now, I don't recommend the guy automatically throw that out, but if, but if that's where it comes to, that you tell the truth. The girl, if he says to you, hey, can I call you again? I'd like to do this. The girl, that's a question. Your answer is, I enjoyed tonight, and I think we're, we're, we're friends, but I don't know that I automatically see this going somewhere. Tell the truth. Well, that'll hurt their feelings. So, too, we'll duck in them the next three weeks. Tell the truth. Don't play the God card. Not that I, I'm, I have all people, 
But you know that God made you a co-ruler with him. He puts you in the front seat. You're not intended to hide behind him. I don't think God wants me dating anybody right now. Tell the truth. The truth is, I think I need to grow up. I think there's unfinished business in my life, and I think it'd be better if I weren't dating right now. Own things. Tell the truth. You'll fumble even how you tell the truth, but it sure beats lying all to pieces, and it sure beats doing the Olay stuff. Every guy wants a girl honestly to say, you know, I thank you for inviting me out. I don't know that I would say that this is an ongoing pattern for us. I'll have to think about it, but my first response is, I enjoy this, but I don't, I, I don't know that that's... Tell the truth. Does that make sense? That's what I meant by kiss on the lips, by the way. Real, real clear. Okay. Julie and I knew very quickly we wanted to do dating. Dating is now you're done with copies and conversations, and now you don't, when you're dating, you don't go with somebody else. Dating becomes a little bit more exclusive. Dating is I'm not keeping secrets where I go back to my hometown and I see a guy that I used to go with and we go out. You can do that here. Dating is a little bit more of trying the water. We've gone through this. It's gone well. We, we think the friendship is good. I think your depth is good. I think your godliness is good. And, and now we're sort of trying to see where this might go. We don't know. We honestly don't know. Remember that arc principle I drew? It works for you individually. It also works for you as a couple. That arc principle. Dating, we're going to go up this. It takes time. You've got to learn to trust each other. You've got to learn to appreciate each other. You've got to learn to communicate with each other. You've got to learn to forgive each other. You've got to learn to trust at a deeper level. You've got to learn. And what happens is couples get in a hurry and they cut across to something crazy. Maybe it's sexual. Doesn't have to be. But they pronounce it some kind of a lifetime deal and they start giving rings and they start talking marriage. No. If you plant something in the spring, you're stupid to... Dig it up in May and see how it's going. Dig it up in July and see how it's going. No, let it bear its own fruit. You don't know. And so you have to be patient. And you're evaluating. How well do we communicate? How well do we begin to just work side by side? How how well do we help each other? And I'm going to give you a, a, a key concept. You don't, don't you ever miss it? If in your dating, if both of you don't go back to your room at the end of just time together and go, I think, I think they bring out the best version of me, the version God's building, the version that, that God is built. If you can't say that, you got the wrong person. I knew Julie's character. Julie, when she hit campus, she hit campus like a lightning bolt. And Julie's not, she is such a humble person. It has nothing to do with bravado. But they had Julie up on the stage stage singing and anything was big. and, And Julie 
Julie just has a personality that's so stinking fun. Julie can come in this room and she'll light it up. But I watched how Julie treated people that had no social capital. And she treated them the same way, if not better, than people who had social capital. And I watched her, and I knew her character, and I knew if she could do that with, with people just in life, I, maybe I might be safe with her. But now how would our friendship, and could I be helpful to Julie, and could she be helpful to me, and how did we serve together, and did the friendship continue to grow and evolve and become? And it did. And it did. We had to t- talk through hard things. My family's a little odd. Her family's a little odd. My family's a great family, but every family's odd. And if we talk through it, she seemed to get my family, and I seemed to understand hers a little bit. And it, it just began, don't duplicate our pattern. But I'm going to, in transparency, we started down here, started dating in February. We've been friends a long time. We were engaged in June. I don't recommend that. But what you're doing is you're evaluating. Now, here's what you have to have the courage, though. You have to have the courage to stop. You have to have the courage to say, you know what? I know the last two months, and no way would I falsely want to lead you on, and I hope you know that. But honestly, I'm a little, I'm just pretty uncertain right now. This does not feel exactly like we might be the best version of helping each other. Or it feels like you're really the one, but truth is I have some stuff in my own family that I think I have unfinished business to take care of. And I'd love to see if we could pick this up in a few months, but right now I need to go back and finish unfinished business. Or I find myself going that your friendship is good, but I don't know that, that it helps me become the, what, what God's calling me. C.S. Lewis. Both of you come here. Just a second. Yeah, you and you. Both of you up here. C.S. Lewis, and again, I'm I'm doing this for gender gender neutral is what I'm doing here on purpose. C.S. Lewis says the first part of your life, you simply take your journey and I'm on a road and my number one concern is living on this road. And am I living the, guy, the godly life? And am I learning it? And am I getting... But he said, somewhere on the journey, you look to your left and right, and there are people on the same road you're on. And you don't fall in love face to face. You fall in love shoulder to shoulder. Because I look, and they have the same heart. Look where we're headed. Oh, maybe not the same vocation. We don't know what we're going to do. It's not that. It's not, we're not matching up. I, I, but this is how I want to spend my life as a kingdom worker. This is, and you fall in love shoulder to shoulder, not face to face. Anybody can fall in love face to face. Remember that little deal about where your investment is, where your heart be also? Truth is, you can stop anywhere you want to and turn face to face and fall in love with about anybody. Because a little investment, you're hard to follow. Trouble is, it pulls you off the road or you forgot what you were doing. So the early time when you actually begin to fall in love is in the dating process 
shoulder. Does that, make, does that make sense? That's what you're looking for. You guys can sit down. Go ahead. What world are we up here for? It's that shoulder-to-shoulder concept. And if you're not discovering that in your early dating, have the courage to stop. You're not a five-year-old fishing. It's a pretty significant thing to choose who's going to be the father of your children. I'm not talking conception. Who do you want fathering your 12-year-old little boy? Who do you want tucking your 8-year-old girl in bed at night? Don't you cut corners. An awful lot of people, because they believe that intimacy is up here, intimacy actually can come because we were sexually active with each other. Boy, it feels like intimacy. No, it's a faux intimacy. It's a false one. If anything, it destroys intimacy, but it, it promises up front. It's like a Hollywood movie set. The front of it looks right, but you go behind it, it's just plywood. But there's also just a status. We're boyfriend, girlfriend. Calling it even that goes, wow, there's an intimacy. No, it's a false intimacy. Let this thing play out. Give it time. Let, let the crop come out of the ground. Let it bloom. Let it bloom. You'll know. You will know. This stage right here I call early dating. Late dating is something else. So here's my stages. Wholeness is a single. Dates and conversations. Early dating. Late dating. Engagement. And there's things to be accomplished in all of those. Here's, I'm about to say the most controversial thing that you're going to hear me say. And I need you to wrestle with this. Don't you give me, you give me at least the courtesy of thinking on it for a few days. I'm going to recommend, I'm going to take two perfectly good words that are no good anymore. They've picked up too much baggage. They're good words, but they got way too many stickers on them. In 20 years, they'll be good words again because the stickers will fall off. But right now, they're terrible words. I'm going to recommend you date, that you ditch the words girlfriend and boyfriend and don't use them. We're dating. Yeah, I know. You're dating your friend. The concept boyfriend or girlfriend, let's start with this first of all. Find it in Scripture. It exists. The concept of, dating, of boyfriend or girlfriend is a bit of an alien concept that comes out of outer space, and it comes with certain expected privileges. It comes with a certain status. It's not talking about a process. I'm talking about a process. Boyfriend or girlfriend is a status. 1 Timothy 5, I put it on your handout today. 1 Timothy 5 says you treat any woman that you're not married to as if, if she's an older woman like your mother, if she's younger like your sister. Well, when does this change? When you're married. But our culture changes it when it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. Now I have certain privileges because this is my girlfriend. Oh, really? You know how to treat a friend. You, you know how to treat a friend. For example, if it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, are you supposed to spend all your time together? 
Should you get offended because they don't come by because they didn't text you at night? It's the last thing. Are you, are you supposed to have all your meals together? It's confusing if you're boyfriend and girlfriend. But if you're friends, and this really is my friend I care about, you don't hover over them like a helicopter and, 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 and dominate everything. You, you want them to have other friends as well. And, 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 and you, know, you know to give them, your friends some space. And, and you feel very safe with your friend. But a boyfriend or girlfriend, we're supposed to, And you actually do emotional rape. You take what's not yours because the status is you're my boyfriend or girlfriend. With your friend, you don't take the back of your elbow and rub against her breast. But a girlfriend, that's it, nobody, well, that's kind of what boyfriend and girlfriends, I mean, we're Christians and so we don't use the hand yet, but the back of the, I mean, I wouldn't do that to my friend. Not a friend I'm helping to conform to the image of Christ. Not somebody I want to say that when I was in their life, I helped produce the best version of them. This early dating, I think boyfriend or girlfriend will cut your throat because you begin to take emotional advantage and sexual advantage because that sort of comes with the territory. On the other hand, when Julie and I dated, and this is a friend I deeply care about. In fact, I'm falling in love. I'm not sure I'm not in love with this, this woman. But this is my friend. I wouldn't hurt her. I think there's something powerful. I also don't control her. I don't own her. The whole idea of boyfriend or girlfriend actually comes out of a broken culture so that you can own somebody and pull them off. Are you going to spend a lot of time together? Absolutely. Julie and I very soon, we're going to my house and riding horses and working cattle and all kinds of things. And when I would go preach, she would go with me. And, but this is my friend. The boyfriend or girlfriend language, watch by what you mean by it. It's a little dangerous. You do move into late dating. Late dating is, wow, I can see where this trajectory is going. This really is sweet. Early dating has been through a lot of this. Late dating, we want to weave our lives together. And now you're talking about how we would raise our kids. We're talking about how would we manage a home. You're talking about dreams that mesh together. You're beginning to go, we are two people who both of us want to stop being a couple of I's and me's and we would become an us. And that begins to happen in late dating. I'm going to tell you right now, nothing has changed. This is still my sister in Christ. And I don't have... Do you kiss then? Oh, absolutely. I'd, 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 I'd caution you up here. I'd, I'd caution you even in the early dating on the kissing. Now, I'm not trying to be an ogre on that, but here's what I simply know. Your body's stupid. I'm not mad at God or anything. He just made your body. It is stimulated, and I, I promise you, 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 you kiss and you begin to put physical involvement. It is very, very hard to make an objective decision when you have a vested interest in the outcome. 
and you begin to kiss too early, your body will throw chemicals and tell you you're deeply in love and the affection, the trouble is you, you miss your good judgment. But even now, and I wish Julie were here, if Julie were standing here and I'm in my mid-60s and it's shocking, I'm as deeply in love with a woman in her 60s, it's hard to imagine, I never could have dreamed, you can't imagine being in love with a you know, man or woman in their 60s, but I guarantee you, you will be. But there's two kinds of kisses that Julie and I could do. One that you would say is sweet and tender and it didn't bother you. There's another kind of kiss that would make you guys nauseated and run and throw up, okay? <laughs> What's the difference? There's a difference between kisses as it relates to tenderness and dignity. When you have a wife or a husband, there's another way to kiss. But until then, you want to kiss the way that you would want a couple like us in public. And if you can't honor that, what you've done. I'm going to tell you one other thing in here in this crossover that I think is significant. Uh, I'm, and I'm going to have to wrap this up. I'm about, I'm, time's gone. You cross the line sexually, it's kind of like the game sorry. You've lost everything because it reveals something that's hidden and you go back. This, these stats are so, these are my stats. Typically most years I had from 95 to 100 couples in problem marriage counseling that I worked with. I haven't done it every year but I've done it many times. And I have couples that are not in love and taking good care of each other and they're raising kids in life and I've asked a series of questions. I'm curious about a lot of things, and so it's not only this, but I've asked, were you sexually active prior to marriage? 93 out of 96 couples will say yes. We were sexually active prior to marriage. 95 out of 98. 97 out of 100. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out, wait a second, what's happening? Oh, I'll tell you what's happening exactly. It was the canary in the cage that showed they didn't have personal wholeness and they weren't looking out for each other. They were looking out for themselves at some level and they just disguised it between flowers and Valentine's Day. And there are a couple of people who don't have the ability to take good care of each other. But worse than that, it's like putting a pipe bomb into your, I mean, who put a pipe bomb into the seat of your car, your own car? Here's what will happen. At about the five-year mark, that woman will go through a major crisis in her marriage to say, I'm not sure my husband ever really did love me. When you've got crying kids and bills and life and, and you don't feel that pretty and you've had a baby and, and you look up and you go, I think my husband probably married me because I was more sexually easy than I should have been. I think, I, I, I think if I had said no, he might have not even stayed and gone to this marriage. Now, that may or may not be true, but that's what she will feel. And the guy has a great deal of trouble coming back and taking the high moral ground and going, no, sweetheart, I would have loved you. And No. In fact, the truth is we cross lines, and she doesn't know. I will also promise you he may be the preacher of the church. He may be the youth minister of the congregation. But I'm just going to tell you right now, any guy that crossed the line sexually with his wife before he, she was wife, 
he has a certain embarrassment and he doesn't become much of a spiritual leader in his own house. He'll be more of a leader at church. He'll be more of a leader in places. But at home, there's a little bit of embarrassment. My wife knows I was a bit of a fraud in our own personal relationship, and he takes a secondary passive role. So if you want a husband who will never really take much of a spiritual leadership and you want a wife who goes through a sense of, am I really loved? All you got to do is cross some lines sexually. Very simple. Now, if I cross lines, is it, un, you know, is, 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 is it unsalvageable? No, you can salvage it. But you've got to go back and build wholeness, and you've got to build trust, and you've got to start back again at some level. Does that make sense? I'm, I, it's too late. You guys got to go home someday, so I'm, I'm talking too long. Um, in the late dating, as you begin this process, you, you, you're beginning to, to set sail. You, you know what you want to do. It's clear. You're going to find you're very, very different. Honestly, before marriage, couples go, wow, we are so much alike. And then after marriage, you go, ooh, we're so different. Um, but, but you're beginning to figure that difference out. You're beginning to figure out how do we problem solve. Uh, I, I do a bunch of stuff in here on how passage of scripture on how you, how you verbally problem solve and so forth. Become engagement. Engagement's pretty simple. And I believe engagement should be short. I think it's wiser to keep them short. I'm going to quote that verse from Scripture, what thou doest, do quickly. Uh, actually, that's Judas going out. But uh, what thou do- <laughs> The reason I think so is you've decided to say, can I tell you how hard it is to say, I mean, for example, if you're going to go on an ocean voyage and be gone for a year, you don't want to stand around for six months telling people goodbye. When it's time to, to go, it's time to go. You're going to basically weave together your families, during engagement, you're going to weave together your finances. You're kind of weaving together the logistical things. When I finish, I will meet you. You're going to go to San Francisco and take that job, and, and we'll be there, and we'll do this. And, and so basically, it's really pretty simple. Finances and families and, and the logistics of life. Well, what about all the other important things? You did that in late dating. In late dating, you figured out how you undisciplined your kids, and, and, and you figured out how to forgive each other, and you figured out all those things. But engagements, I wouldn't make long. Make them long enough to put together a nice wedding, but don't... To be real blunt with you, I've done so many weddings, I can tell you the higher the dollar number on the wedding, the lower the quality of the marriage. Just pretty simple. Selfishness shows itself. Yeah, but I just really want to... No, 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 you're insecure. And, and no. Now, I'm not telling you to get by with $13.40, you know, either. But, honestly, one of the sweetest weddings I've ever seen. My daughter grew up in a church of a couple thousand that I preached at. She went on staff of a church of about 3,000. Their wedding was eight or 900 people. And it was a sweet and wonderful wedding, and they put it together. I mean, I'm telling you... It was, it, was, it, was, it was a gorgeous wedding, but I think we probably spent 5000 on it with eight or 900 people. And I don't, think there's a, I don't think anybody would say there's much sweeter or better weddings. I, my point is not the dollar number. My point is the principle. But put together the wedding, and you need enough time to put it together. But I wouldn't keep engagements really, really long. I quit. That's, that's enough. <laughs> Questions? What do you want to ask? Things I 
I know I will try to answer things I don't know. I will bluff or, or, or call somebody else's name to answer on. So. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is the appropriate or inappropriate girl's role in initiating dating? I don't, I don't think the girl has to sit on her hands on a bench over in the corner and just wait entirely, okay? Truth is, when Julie would come to a class and we were friends, she would come and find me and sit beside me. Truth is, at lunch, Julie did come hang out in the, in the group. And it wasn't like she was stalking me in any, you know, you know, crazy way. I think those are permissible, those kinds of things, at some level. But I'm going to draw a line. If you want the man to take responsibility and be a leader in a relationship, you cannot start at the other direction. And if a guy is too dumb to pursue you when, you when he knows you're a friend. You can be a friend and be a friend, but if he's too dumb to pursue you, I don't want you to be the leader in the family and he's the passive guy that follows along. His passivity will ruin that. So be a friend, but, you can't, but in my opinion, you can't be the initiator of the dating. That's one guy's opinion. I think that Matthew, or Matthew, that I think Ephesians 5 and all those passages, God does put a responsibility on a man's shoulders. Men aren't better than anything else, but I'll tell you, tell you this. Um, a passive man is the antithesis of real manhood. You want to know? A harsh woman is the antithesis of, of a woman. And a passive man is the opposite of real manhood. And so I wouldn't get that too mixed up on the dating. Easier questions. <laughs> yes? Great, great questions. Right now in your singleness, girls, build a circle of guys that you know that are good, sharp guys. Not guys you'd marry, but they're good, sharp guys. And don't you move into an on-dating relationship that you don't check with your community. Guys read guys better than girls ever will. And girls read girls better than guys ever will. Part of the reason that you want older brothers is deeply to protect you. Three of you today have told me about getting in dating relationships that turned out to be bad ones. I'm going to suggest that one of the reasons that happens is we're an activity-based culture, not a relationship-based culture, and we haven't built a community around us that can protect us. So that's one way. I would also tell you intergenerationally. You hang around. It's not I'm Randy and Julie are no smarter than anybody else, but I, I could name you, you know, 15 to 30 couples our age 
go hang out at our house as a couple. We'll, we'll know. I guarantee you, it's not hard to tell. Well, why? Because you don't know what you don't know. But some, and we're just simply going, wow, did you hear the conversation tonight? He's, I'm not sure that, sweetheart, you're picking up on what we picked up on. And so you do ministry together intergenerationally. Do not run only with your peers. We're peer-based. So you ran around first graders, then you ran around third graders, and you ran around sophomores, and you ran around with freshmen and sophomores and juniors in college. And, and, there's, a, and there's a place in that, and, and I, I'm speaking highly of that. But you want some intergenerational friends. Don't go very far up this thing that you don't have intergenerational friends. I'd love to say that your brothers, your physical, biological brothers, and your parents were good. But we have such broken families that, I, that, that may be the case. It may be that you have to borrow somebody else's better family. So the, I, those would be a couple of quick things. Never trust your own eyesight. I said it a minute ago. It is very hard to make an objective decision about something you have a vested interest in. Other questions? Yes. You said like the man is like this leader of, this leader of the couple spiritually. What does that look like? Headship in the scriptures are, is never, has to do, never has to do with authority and, and ruling over. A man is not ahead of his family because I'm in charge here and I have authority and you need to listen to me. Christ. Christ lived his whole ministry without that kind of authority over people. What it means is headship at its core means taking responsibility for the care of. It, 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 it's, it's an initiator. It's especially initiator. And so my wife is an incredible teacher, and my wife has great insights. No way have I ever sat down and said, wife, sit down at the end of the table, and I'm going to show you the scriptures. Ah, good grief. I, she is not only my peer, she may be better on many of these things than I am, but my job is to see that, that she knows she's prayed for and she hears her own name prayed for. My, my job is to take the responsibility to initiate the care in her life and to make sure that, that we're doing healthy and balanced things as a family. And I'm not, my job is not arbitrarily to do so. My job is to say, hon, what do you think on this? And where, where would you do this? And, and my job is to be an initiator to see that things, somebody has to, to, to say the buck stops here. But it's not power. It's not control. I'm in charge. If you hear headship in scripture as I'm the rule enforcer, I'm the rule maker, I'm the rule keeper, I'm the guy, I'm the head of the household, I tell you that is asinine and that is stolen from the world. It is not from Scripture. Love your wife the way that Christ loved the church, died for her. <laughs> what? what? Self-sacrificing, initiator. I a minute, a minute ago, guys, the most dangerous thing you can be, yeah, I'll put a segment in there. One of the two most dangerous things you can be is passive. A passive man is so damaging. Well, why are men passive? For one, they don't always have wholeness and haven't learned how to do it. But, but at its core, passive men is they're not familiar with their own emotions, and they tend to live a little more withdrawn life emotionally. And so you get a great roommate, you get a guy who will go to work, you get a guy who will see the oils changed, but he doesn't live at a heart level with his own kids and with his own wife, and he's passivity, emotionally passive with his wife. 
girls run from a passive guy. Emotionally passive. Now, he may well be the kind of guy that is so gentle and quiet, and he's always at the back of the room, and he's never up front. I'm not talking about the kind of aggressiveness that goes up front, but I'm talking about an emotional investment. There's a non-Christian author who wrote a book back in the 1960s, and he was wrong on his worldview, but he was right on this issue. His book was entitled Passive Men, Wild Women, and he said, you want to see a woman who's probably struggling emotionally, probably had to do with a passive uh, father in her life who did not engage at an emotional level with her, and she probably married a man who does not engage with her emotionally. And, and so he says, if you see a woman bouncing off the walls and swinging off the chandeliers, you'll almost always find a, a very passive man at the, at the center of that. Well, I don't want to let any woman off the hook. You need to be whole, and God does your own wholeness. But passive man is a really bad thing. Emotionally passive. That's a whole, I mean, that would take a whole lot to unpack that. But. Other questions? Yes? Um, how would you encourage to think, people to think through whether or not they are called to singleness or whether or not they should consider singleness? Great question. You know, here's the irony. The irony is that singleness and wholeness means you really can flourish in life and you do not have to be married. We're in a culture that just can't hardly imagine that, honestly, at some level. I think you come to wholeness and, in some cases, your ministry, I'm, I'm, I'm coming straight out of 1 Corinthians, your ministry is, wow, I love doing what I'm doing, and honestly, I'd have to water down what I'm doing for a husband. I'd love to have a husband, perhaps, but right now, this is so much fun. This is so significant. I feel like it's making... Singleness does not come because I don't like the other gender. It doesn't come because I'm afraid of the other gender. That's not singleness, healthy singleness. It comes because I really am content. I really am joyful. I really am, I've got a ministry. Paul says that you actually will compromise many of your ministries if you go ahead and choose to get married because the single has more discretionary time and you, you got, don't have to run home and go do this and this and this and all the other pressures. And Paul recommends it. Didn't seem to ruin Paul's life. There is a misinterpretation of Scripture, in my opinion, about, well, but I'm too sexual, so I need to get married for sexual purposes. No. That's, you're jerking some things out of context. He's in particular talking about if you're in a relationship with a girl or a guy, and, and, and it's becoming a very sexualized in the sense of not unhealthy. Let me stay with it. You can, you can sexualize them unhealthy, but you, you be in a relationship, you do begin to say... Not only do I want to weave our lives together, but there is a passion for each other that does occur. And Paul's point is, if you're in that journey and that's what's happening, it's okay to marry. It's, it's fine. Last thing you want to do is hang out, me hang out with Julie, and we decide to hang out and both do our ministries, but we're going to do a lot of things together. Truth is, God designed a sec to have children together is not a bad thing. To just want to be in her bed is not what Paul's talking about. 
He's talking about the larger issue. If you can't control your lust and you need to get married, whoa, missed it entirely. The most lustful individuals are always the most emotionally immature. Bottom line. That when you do not understand your own emotions, you act it out in physical ways you don't understand. That's why girls are cutters, because they don't understand their emotions. And somehow the cutting underneath here or cutting down here, it's because the box of emotions, you don't solve it by handling razor blades and bathroom doors. You fix their emotional box and, and the cuttings. What's well, the exact same thing for the guy that weighs 600 pounds? Why does he weigh 600 pounds? Well, just I like pie better than other people. No, you don't like pie better than the people. Everybody likes pie. you got a box you don't understand. And your emotions don't work well, and so you get a piece of pie when you're happy, you get a piece of pie when you're sad. You don't want to do with your emotions. Lust is the exact same thing. Any guy in this room struggling with pornography is not because you're lustier than anybody else. It's because you're more emotionally immature than anybody else. And you've transferred it over to the pornography. That's how you act out. The same way the girl with the razor blade, the same way the guy with the bottle, same way the 600-pound, same deal. So, man, I'm so stinking lusty, I couldn't stay single the rest of my life. You are dangerous. You're dangerous. Don't you get married. Well, Paul says it's better to get married than to burn. No, Paul would come and punch you in the nose. No. Paul's talking about this sequence. My daughter, neither one of my daughter got married before they were, uh, I mean, I guess, I'm thinking Katie was 25 and I think Megan was 26. I lose track. Katie is, Katie's pretty phenomenal. I mean, so is Megan, but Katie just has, she's six foot tall. Katie just has an ability to public speak. Katie, she blew everything out of the water as far as grades. State of Missouri said, stay and go to college and we'll pay for everything in college and give you $2,000 a year cash to stay. And she did that. And Katie was the All-American in basketball. And uh, Katie's, Katie's, and Katie struggled in high school with perfectionism. Well, how? She does everything so well. She was like a bird on a high wire that she, she was afraid of failure. If she ever failed anything, it just, she, she, and Katie had to sort that out in high school, and she did, and she did. And Katie came to peace. But I heard Katie, now again, a six-foot-tall girl who her grandmother used to introduce. This is my granddaughter, Katie. Isn't she a big thing? Okay, you can, okay. Now, Katie was slender. She was slender, but, but Katie's sense of, self-worth in high school and junior high, I heard Katie stand in front of a, a room full of, of girls, and she made this statement. She said, I would love to have a husband someday. I'd love to have a family. But she said, I have, I've discovered something about, she didn't use the word wholeness, but she said, I've discovered that, that God, while I will ask for that, and God, I'd love to have that, and I would grieve that if I never had it. I really would be fine because life is joyful and I know how to serve. She kind of used the analogy, I, I know what road I'm on and I would love to have it, but if it never comes, if it never comes, don't run as a single, don't go run looking for them. 
you take your journey and then look left and right. And in the grace of God, he'll either put somebody there or, or if nobody comes because they missed the call of God on their life, you keep doing what you're doing and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Nobody gets married because I, I got to get married or I'll burn. No, 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 no. Wrong, 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 wrong. That's, I rambled around on it a little bit. Um, it's quarter to five. You've got you to you go home. Uh, go home, children. Go home. Um, I, I don't know. Anything else? If, Scott, you guys? Rachel? You guys have been great. Thank you. Thank you.